Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Cabrogal clan of the Darug Nation, who are the traditional custodians of this land we are meeting on today. We also pay our respects to the elders past, present and future of the Darug Nation. Hey friends, welcome to our podcast, A Seat at Our Table. Candid conversations about our Asian Australian experiences in the creative industry. I'm Tracy. I'm Wendy. We We saved saved you a seat. seat. Come Come join join us. Hi everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a very special guest and a very exciting series that we're launching today. Mm-hmm. We are launching a little collaboration with the Asian Australian Project, which we're calling AAP at our table. So today for the first episode, we have Michelle, the president of AAP, joining us today to talk about her experience, what it's like running a nonprofit on top of a nine to five, what AAP is and kind of behind the scenes look um, behind AAP. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Welcome. Yay. Thanks for having me. Um, It's lovely to finally get to this point. I think we've been, what, talking for a few months already. So it's really nice to actually sit down and actually do the episode instead of going back and forth with emails and everything (laughs) like that. So (laughs) it's nice to finally do the recording. Yeah. So to start off with, do you want to tell us about yourself? Uh, where you grew up, what your cultural background is. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's a bit complicated, but I was born in Australia. I'm like ethnically Chinese, but I don't know. My mom's Cantonese um, and my dad is from Brunei. It's like a tiny country in like Malaysia, Um, but he's Taiwanese. So already that's like a interesting combo. Even though I was born and I grew up here, I spent most of my life overseas um, so I grew up in Vietnam, China, Malaysia, Philippines, went to school over there. So I have a lot of like international friends from different backgrounds and stuff like that. So I really kind of identify myself as like a third culture kid. I don't know if you've heard of that term before. And then I came back to boarding school um, in year nine, did the rest of high school here, went to uni. So I had a really interesting childhood, not many kids get to experience moving countries a lot when they're young, especially like being exposed to new cultures and stuff. So although I feel like I'm Chinese, I don't, that's not like the only culture I feel yeah. like really strong ties to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I still like miss all the countries that go overseas. So um, I haven't been back in a while because I'm poor. So but <laughs> when I have enough money, I'll go back and visit. But yeah, so that's, I guess, like my background growing up and yeah, it's just been a really interesting experience. I think my me going overseas has really shaped my identity. I don't think I would be the person I am today if I didn't go overseas mm. um, and meet all those people because it really matures you from a really young age because you've had to move so often. So the longest I've ever been in one country is three years. So I would ever always, you know, make friends and kind of have a life there. And then suddenly my parents would be like, okay, it's time to go. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'll never see any of you again. And like that was a before we had Facebook or before yeah. Facebook was really yeah. popular. So I've never, like, I don't know some of these people. Like I know their names, but I don't know their last names. And I don't think I'll ever see them again, which is kind of sad. Um, But yeah, so that was a really interesting experience for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Did you pick up the languages or what is it? Um, so is that's actually a really interesting question. So yeah. in Vietnam, I had to everyone had to learn Vietnamese. Um, so I'm actually really good at I was really good at Vietnamese at amazing. that age. So 
if you go to like you know those like primary school portfolios where they have yeah. like languages and so like I have a whole portfolio and just like my Vietnamese classes and then I could I was like reading through it and I was like damn I was really good at Vietnamese and then I stopped <laughs> speaking it yeah because I didn't live in Vietnam anymore and I didn't have mm. any Vietnamese friends so I did know how to speak Vietnamese at one point um surprisingly I actually didn't know how to speak Mandarin until I was like nine ten when mm, I actually went yeah. to China and I remember because I don't speak Mandarin in my house because I'm Cantonese and then I went up to the Mandarin coordinator and she was like asking Mandarin well, how like how well is your Chinese and I was like I don't understand I didn't understand anything you said so she put me in the <laughs> class with all the white people so I was the <laughs> only Asian in that class um so I had to learn everything in scratch like apple orange right. and stuff yeah and then uh and it was just really weird because it's just like the only Asian person in there um with uh, some of the mixed kids were in there too so um mm. yeah but that and then because in Malaysia they had really strict rules about like language ethnicity so because I was an international student but I was Chinese I had to take Chinese but I could yeah. take another Span- uh, language like Spanish whereas in mm. if you're Malaysian um and you say you're like Malay Chinese you have to take Chinese and Malay um, oh. or if you're like uh like Indian or Tamil Malay you'd have to take Tamil and Malay like you can't mm. those are the languages you had to pick so right. um I was lucky that I didn't have to pick up Malay but I had to pick up Chinese because that mm. was all cried by the school which I guess is cool because I'm not sure if you know any Malaysians but they speak a lot of languages so yeah, yeah they um, do I think that's yeah. a that's an advantage but yeah I um Spanish and Chinese is a really weird combination so you you mentioned that like living overseas really shaped your identity like yeah. what part of that experience or that part of your life helped mm. with who you are now yeah I think growing up in general is difficult um so I think a bit of a backstory so I left Australia in 2003 so that was I guess the early periods of what they considered expats I'm not sure if you know what an expat is or an expatriate mm-hmm. so that's what my family was I was very conscious at a young age that there are not many like Asian expats a lot of them are actually white Mm. so um in growing up in schools I guess it was divided into like Asians who are locals and then Asians who are rich enough that are still locals to get to school and then you would have international students who are like mixed so their dad or mom would be Asian and then the other parent would be like um European or American or whatever Mm. but I was the only Asian that was not mixed but was international. Mm. So often or not, I would be the, you know, when you have international week and stuff and you have to like showcase your culture and stuff because I'm Chinese. Um, I didn't know, didn't much about that, but I would represent Australia. And there are a lot of photos of me in like with all the Australian kids who are like blonde and brunette and have blue eyes and stuff. And then there's <laughs> oh, me wow. being like, yeah, we're in Australia. <laughs> um, because I would be the only Asian there. And, yeah. you know, it was actually quite tough because there wasn't anyone that looks like me um I do like back overseas I really identified as Australian like it was not like not even like Asian Australian or Chinese Australian I was just Australian mm-hmm. throughout and um even though I had an American accent because yeah I had watched a lot of American TV but um I think that really shaped my identity because I would have a lot of people who would ask like oh you know aren't Australians do they have blonde eye, uh, blonde hair and blue eyes? And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, but I'm Australian too. And I think that kind of balance between like figuring out, like trying to advocate and say like I am Australian because I was born there. And, you know, although I only lived there for like seven years of my life, which doesn't really mm. even count because I was a baby. 
um, versus like being between many cultures and deciding like what it is. I think back then the term third culture wasn't really a thing or a concept that people understood. So I didn't have the language skills to actually explain or advocate what I meant in terms of like I was Australian, but I didn't necessarily feel Australian at times. Um, and I think that has had a really big impact like on my life because now looking back in it and definitely when I came back to Australia, I actually faced a lot more discrimination coming back to Australia um, yeah. and starting school here compared mm -hmm. to actually going over there because when you're in international school, everyone is so used to diversity. Like yeah. everyone comes from all around the world. You know, no one really cares if you're like white or black or Asian, whatever. They're just like, as long as you're a good person, we'll become friends with you. Cause you know, you could leave like next year or the year after the next mm -hmm. month. Yeah. Whereas in, when I came back to Australia um, and I went to a private school, <laughs> so many people knew each other since kinder and like primary right. school. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know any of you. Like their moms were friends, or, you know, their siblings were friends. I'm like, I didn't have that experience. They talk about things, you know, that they've happened in their childhood or like cultural things that they talk about like on TV. And I'm like, I didn't have that experience, even though I was Australian. And then there was this really weird alienation or like gap between like, well, am I Australian? Because I don't mm. didn't experience these things, even though my passport says I'm Australian and everyone else overseas thinks I'm Australian. And then I come here and no one tells me I'm Australian. And to be fair enough, I did come back with an American accent. So maybe that's why people were like, oh, she's not Australian. But like, I think that just opens up like a really interesting conversation about how people perceive that. And I always tell like, you know, I didn't necessarily have a positive experience in high school because that as a young person, trying to fit back in and because I didn't have my parents here mm. it was quite difficult because I couldn't really talk to this about about this with anyone so I think a large part of that is how my experience has really shaped my identity is it's taken a lot of introspection for me to actually figure out who I am and like where I fit in society and mm. more broadly like in Australia and what my role is as that person because like I said, like the term third culture didn't really come up until like I was, I graduated high school and mm. um, like racism and sexism and intersectionality was something I didn't necessarily think about until uni as well. So I was struggling up until like the end of high school to figure out who I was because of that. And I know, although I, I value my experience and really cherish it overseas, I also kind of reflect on it and think that it was that was kind of the root cause of like why I was struggling with my identity a lot because no one really talks about it um but yeah that's I guess how my identity is really formed and you know it wasn't until maybe like three years ago that I really started identifying myself as Asian Australian because I think there was just like a lot of internalized racism that I had slash I think it was tight it was I was at that age where I was like you know what I I'm gonna be Asian forever like I can't ignore it like yeah. I'm gonna have at one point I'm just gonna have to acknowledge that this is like the reality of my life and um I can either do something positive or and productive about it or I can just like be really sad and depressed yeah. and like think about ways I can hide my identity which is not necessarily the best way to go in life so mm. um I guess that's how I kind of came to the conclusion mm. um with where I am now so I'm a lot more at peace with myself um yeah, yeah. So how has that led to your journey to AAP? Can you talk about, you know, what yeah. AAP is and your role in it? Yeah. So um, as I said, I'm the president, but I don't really like using that term because it's so cool. <laughs> I, I don't president. really see it. 
I know. I I don't really see myself as the president. I see myself as just like a leader, someone who can just like yeah. lead the organization and lead the people. But um, I joined in 20, end of 2020, I think. Uh, it's, been mm. such, it's not even that long ago, but it's like the pandemic made everything weird. So Yeah, all the time um, is whack. I know. And I... Yeah, I joined as pre- uh, vice president back then when Humphrey was the president. So Humphrey's the founder of AAP, actually, um, and he's since left and I have taken over his role. Um, I think I remembered scrolling on Facebook because I think prior to AAP, I actually do a lot of social justice and advocacy work in, I guess, the the space, not necessarily to do with Asian Australians, but a lot to do with like anti-racism work or community development, youth engagement, stuff like that. And I think just because of like social media and how like the algorithm works, I just mm-hmm. happened to have an AAP um, ad pop up on my Facebook page. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of this thing before. So I did some Googling. I was like, yeah, this looks like something that would be really interesting. So I applied for VP um because there was a vacant role and I was pretty sure I'm the only applicant to apply that (laughs) you know that feeling where you're like yeah got it and then you like look at back in it and you're like actually I think I was the only person who applied so don't sell yourself short no but like that's the real actually it's funny because I also got my um because I also volunteer for the Red Cross I also got the same position where I'm now because I was the only applicant that applied so I feel like it's a very common theme yeah um but yeah so I applied for that um and I've yeah, I don't think I've felt more part of a community that is AAP, that is accepting as AAP and as, like, I don't want to, like, toot my own horn, but, like, it's it's very different from what other organisations I've been with. There's mm-hmm. Because with other organisations and places that I volunteer with, it's very issues-focused, but your identity is very removed from those issues. Mm-hmm. So, um like, for example, at the Red Cross, because I'm working on, like, projects such as youth engagement and things like that, although I am a young person, I am not in a position where that directly identify, uh, affects me, whereas in, yeah. at AAP, we're talking about Asian Australians and our identity and issues that we face, and that's something that I directly have to face every day or I confront as part of just my lived experience as being Asian. So being part of that organisation has really made me open up my eyes to the contact or the confront confrontation between being Asian and actually having to like self-advocate for yourself and how much work there actually has to be. Um so yeah, it's it's that's how I got to the role. It's basically food for Facebook ad, but it's made me realize a lot of things about this area of space. And I think, you know, and you probably both can probably say the last three years have been I would say pretty amazing growth for the Asian Australian yeah. space. There's been a yeah. lot of stuff that's been happening. So I think we're in a positive space now, like a growth mindset where we can actually grow together, not only as like a community, but also as individuals and as like a social justice movement. Is yeah. So I always compare, whenever I'm talking to people, I always compare the Asian Australian space to the Asian American space because that space has existed for such a long time. Yeah. And they're an amazing group or a community of people who can self-advocate for themselves really mm-hmm. well. But we don't know how to do that in Australia. Right. And there's many reasons yeah. why. And I probably could talk about that forever. But um, <laughs> we, yeah, we don't know how to do that yet in a way that's so effective. And I think, mm-hmm. and it's ironic because we are closest to Asia. Yeah. Um, so you would think we would have that sign of self-advocacy, but we don't. And I think there's a lot of structural issues that prevent that from being placed. So, yeah, I think took me a while to get here I didn't know why I didn't join this organization earlier but 
I really enjoyed it so far, even though <laughs> it can be quite tiring sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, can you tell us about the Asian Australian project? What, what mm-hmm. the origin story, the mission, kind of what you feel the yeah. role of AAP is in the community? Yeah, so our origin story is a bit different because we've just changed so much since like we actually was created. So I guess like the TLDR of yeah. the beginning is that um so Humphrey, who was the founder of AAP, he was kind who well, he was in business, like in the corporate sector, and he kind of realized that there wasn't really many opportunities for Asian Australians to be mentored, particularly like talk about issues that they face in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So he kind of, he started this organization along with Angela, who has since left, but she was our vice president and a few others. So like the OGs, um, and to kind of talk about their experiences in the workplace, because there wasn't actually a place or a platform where people could openly actually talk about their experiences in a way that isn't framed as, oh, but if you do this, it'll actually make it better at work. It was like, oh, actually, you know, someone said something racist to me today. Like I need someone to talk to that about, like someone who can have that empathy that, and will just accept it for what it is and not just say like, oh yeah, why can't you just talk to HR? Because the, you know, the solution and the problem isn't always as easy yeah. as just go talk to HR because yeah. often not HR is probably not for like the workers yeah but that's another question anyway so we that happened in 2019 and that was like kind of before all the pandemic boom of like the Asian Australian space and I think that's what makes it so unique and then I think as we developed it originally started with like social events like meeting up with other Asian Australians in the space and things like that but I think it's grown now to a space where we're trying to advocate for all Asian Australians and when we mean all Australian Asian Australians we mean all of them we are very conscious and to to my team all the time that if we're going to use the word Asian Australian Mm. and it's in our name it has to include everyone from Asia and not just East Asia yeah I think that's really important because that tends to be that misuse of that term when people like oh Asian Australian and then it's just like only Chinese or Japanese or Korean and I think that's it's not good, um, but also like the whole of South Asia and Southeast Asia, like India has one of the biggest, world's biggest population. You can't just say like Asia and then just not include India and Pakistan and Sri Lanka and all that. So um, we're very conscious that that's, you know, that's something that we always think about in terms of diversity. But yeah, we're like a, I would say like a organization that helps empower Asian Australians to kind of really look at their identity not only in an Asian context, but in an Australian context as well. And we do that by actually challenging people's biases and thoughts about their identity. So we we validate people's experience and say, like, we're not, look, this is something that we all experience collectively as a generation or as a migrant group. But there are also things that are that we also experience that need to be challenged as well. And I think that's where we kind of pivoted towards sort of focusing on issues like, you know, racism against Asians in the workplace and stuff. Why don't we just focus about racism within the Asian community? Because we know that that Mm -hmm. is so rife, particularly um, in the East Asian community and vice versa, you know, things to do with like colorism and like gender and all that type of things. Those things need to be addressed in our community first before we can actually tackle the bigger issues of racism. Because I I always tell my team and everyone else that, I talked about AAP, you know, you can't really do the work and say that you're a beacon for Asian Australians and 
that you're a self-advocacy organization if you don't look in the mirror and actually think about like what what are you looking at here because you're the product of all this culture and all this lived experiences generationally and that's got you up to this point but there are also issues in in that where that has also negatively impacted Asian Australians as well and I Mm. think you need to take a kind of a hard look at yourself before you actually figure out what you're advocating for because I can't advocate for you know end of discrimination against Asians and stuff if Asians are still discriminating against each other so (laughs) there's a lot of work in our community to Mm. be done because of that and I think that's where we are at the moment is really trying to challenge people's ways of looking at themselves and identity like why do you think like that Mm. why do you say things like that why has your culture kind of brought you up to this point and how can you make it better because at the end of the day you know people aren't we can't force people to change and we can't force people to you know, be on our side or take our stance on certain issues and stuff. And, you know, while I think racism is bad, some people out there, even Asians might think racism is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really about giving them tools and resources to actually have those conversations by themselves. Because at the end of the day, like I said, they won't change. Um, It's only if you kind of open the door a little bit with them and then give them those tools to actually start those conversations that's really important. Um, And I think like if we do it together collectively as a community, it's a lot easier to have those conversations rather than like just one person having to carry that huge emotional um, load of actually having to have that conversation with people because it can be actually quite upsetting. And because, mm-hmm. like I said before, the issues directly affect you, sometimes you can just get a little bit like emotional and heated. And unfortunately, some of the issues that we talk about, like, like racism kind of have to come from like a very logical lens because yeah sometimes when you talk to people who don't necessarily understand or are ignorant they don't really take they're not very good when you talk to them from an emotional standpoint so it's really about self-advocating for ourselves and um mm-hmm. respecting that but also respecting that diversity and the community um and really challenging those perspectives as well so yeah um how does this integrate with your passions your interests but also like your day job yeah so I'm a social worker by my day job which is not a surprise (laughs) so um, (laughs) part of social work is social justice and like being at the core and actually I guess empowering my clients or my patients or whoever I'm working with to actually live their best lives there's a phrase that social workers use that is my job is to make my job redundant so this should mm. be mm. essentially a period where you don't need me anymore and yeah. that's a good thing yeah. because if you don't need me that means you actually live out there living your life being an individual yeah. being empowered to take you know hold of your life and to do things by yourself so that's great not great for me but I don't need social workers and I'm out of a job but um so that's what I do and I guess like in my role I work in child, youth and family services. I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with that, but it's kind of like, you imagine child protection, which is a statutory body. I'm like below child protection. So there's this program in Victoria called Child First, or what they call the orange door. And it's like the intake point for all like Mm -hmm. family violence and parenting support problems. So what I do as a family services practitioner is I work with families to kind of develop goals around family, uh, like parenting, or like, for example, if there's issues like family violence or like history of child protection or things like that, what I do work with families is just I work around those issues and then help mainly with behavioural challenges that kids face. So I work a lot with young kids with disabilities, young kids who have trauma because of family violence or 
child protection involvement or like just um alcohol and drugs and mental health and things like that so that's what I do um so a lot of it is working very closely with families and young people to kind of figure out what's going on in their lives and how I can support them in a way that again makes myself redundant in the end so how can they make those Mm -hmm. goals um and I guess how that works with AAP is that like this is like me directly working with people Mm. to affect change in their lives so you know um say like there's a young person who has a mental health challenge or issue my role would be to make sure that they're connected to the mental health services making sure that they feel safe first and empowered to continue that connection with that mental health service and then from there building on um things like school attendance or Mm -hmm. um getting the right group of friends or if they have a disability making sure that they're linked in with the NDIS or making sure that they're um supported in a safe way that they can continue living their life so that's what I would do with client facing and I guess AAP is kind of like maybe like two or three steps removed from that because while I'm not working with clients directly I'm still doing work that will impact people to do something essentially which is Mm. to make change in the community or to have conversations about challenges that Asian Australians face in the workplace at home in their own lives in the relationships so it's very similar in the sense that both my roles encompass me having to facilitate something or to like support someone in doing something Mm -hmm. um but I guess the content's a bit different so yeah that's probably what I would say it's kind of a bit similar um and how my role really like reflects like all my roles I do whether it's volunteering or in my job are around social justice and that's something that I strongly identify as part of being my identity. So I don't want to be that person that says like, oh yeah, you know, volunteering and (laughs) doing a lot of shit and giving back to the community is like being part of my personality, but it is part of my personality. And I really hate making about it, but that's literally the only thing I do because when people ask me, what are you doing your free time? I'm like, oh yeah, I volunteer like for non-for-profit. That's what I do. (laughs) They're like, what the fuck are you crazy? And I'm like, no, that's, I actually genuinely enjoy it. That's just what I get my hobby. And it's um, like your walk, what is it, walking the walk, you know, you're not just talking it, right? Yeah, like, I, yeah, exactly. And I, look, I don't believe, I don't think anyone else has to follow what I do. They're like, oh, my God, I have to be, like, a good person or to give back to society. I have to, like, do the maximum amount of stuff I have to do. Mm. Like, don't do what I do because <laughs> you're going to burn out slash, like, I don't have really great self-care. So, like, don't do yeah. what I do. But, yeah. like, I think anyone can contribute or give back to the community in whatever form it's just giving back in the way that you want to give back is important and like even if it's like volunteering one hour a week to like yeah I don't go clean up rubbish in your local area or to go you know sit with an elderly person and just accompany them have a cup of tea yeah. I think that's it like but yeah don't do what I do um <laughs> advice yeah, for everyone <laughs> advice on everyone out there so yeah it's like do what she does but not to that extent maybe yeah no to that extent because like sometimes it's just like lying there in the middle of the night being like why am I doing this to my life like (laughs) I don't want to do it so but it's just like I think for me and because I think it's also partially because I'm just young I have a drive to do that now I don't know when I'm 60 I'm like senile about the word I'm like yeah I'm definitely gonna (laughs) do that so yeah when maybe when I'm older I won't do that but now that I'm young and have that drive I definitely think um I should be doing what I'm doing so tell me what ask me again when I'm burnt out so (laughs) well no let's talk about that so how do you balance everything that you do with your nine to five like what does your week even look like so um 
it's a bit hectic. So I work part-time four days a week, but mm-hmm. as I said, I volunteer a lot. So um, I don't work Thursdays, but I do work Thursdays because I work as a volunteer caseworker at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre in Melbourne. I basically have a meeting every every night. So um, Monday to Thursdays are all AAP meetings. Um, they usually are from like 7 to like 10 at night oh or like God. roughly. Um, and then once a month, I have a Red Cross meeting every once a month. So I have to attend that in person. Well, I try to attend that in person. So that's also that's usually on a Wednesday. Um, and then I also I volunteer with my local council committee. So the multicultural um, advisory committee in my council area. Mm-hmm. So that meeting is once every four months. So I don't have to attend every meeting. I try to attend the non-AAP meetings more than I try to attend the AAP meetings because those are more frequently held and there I can catch up on stuff. But basically I only have Fridays and weekends off. And then sometimes on the weekends I have stuff to do for AAP. Usually that's when I catch up on admin and everything like that. So um, yeah, like I said, it's like it gets pretty hectic. Like my day usually ends at like 10.30 or 11 at night after like, I finish all my admin, volunteering staff meetings, um, and that's just like meetings. And then I still have to do like outreach and stuff and run projects and, you know, go to team meetings, like, and everything like that and catch up with people. Um, So, yeah, that's what my nine to five looks like. It's actually more like nine to like 11 at this point. And the good thing is I live really close to work, so I can sleep until like 8.20 in the morning and it's still working time. (laughs) So that's the only thing that's going for me at the moment is the fact that I live close to my workplace. (laughs) Otherwise, yeah, I would probably go crazy and um, be not here. So, yeah, yeah. that sounds like so much. Like I just got overwhelmed just listening to all of that. (laughs) It reminded me of my university days. Like I feel like uni days, I was so overcommitted in like volunteering, Mm. nonprofit, like all this clubs and societies on top of uni work. And then I guess when I went into full-time work, I just got so tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know how I have the energy to do that. I think it's like, again, if I worked in a different sector, like if I worked like a corporate job or not as a social worker, yeah. I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing. Um, I've just obtained so many skills. Like, you know, when you play a game and you just yeah. get to like such a high level that you have so many <laughs> skills and stuff. So like, I feel like I'm in that point in my life where I've collected so many so much knowledge and skills to actually do my job efficiently Mm. um and so I'm at like that point now because what I do as AAP as a president essentially is a leadership role and I've been in a leadership Mm. role before in other volunteer roles and stuff like that so I know what I'm doing um it's just that it's a lot of work running a not-for-profit because AAP is like I can actually say it is a not-for-profit because we're registered as one. So there's a lot of stuff on top of actually having to run an organization because mm-hmm. you've got like HR and stuff like that. So um yeah, that's a it's a lot of work, but I can do it efficiently for now. Um and it's a good thing as well because the other thing that people don't talk about is having a good support system. So I have a really mm-hmm. good support system. Um, my partner the my team at AAP which I I mean they're my friends now so my friends are there um and just my broader friendship network and everything like they're really supportive of the work I'm doing so I think without that I don't think I would be doing what I'm doing as well and probably this like really innate sense of like drive like if inequality wasn't this bad I don't think I would have been like yeah I'll just do four roles casually Um, (laughs) but I know that I can I know that 
in Australia there is so much work to be done in this space so Mm. I think that also kind of gives me the drive to kind of continue what I'm doing um so again kind of like making myself redundant in a way so yeah it's it's really really important work yeah yeah Yeah, it is yeah so I'm really glad to be doing it and I'm really glad that other people are supporting us and like me they're supporting me to do it as well so I recognize that that's a really privileged thing to say because not everyone can have the time to Mm -hmm. do what I'm doing so um yeah I think that's why it's really important that if you want to do the work that you just do how much you want to do and not like push yourself too much Mm because you don't want to burn out and then be completely disillusioned by what you're doing because at the end of the day you're just going to hate yourself by doing that and um we don't want people hating themselves it's not a good thing yeah and then it becomes a chore and then you're like not inherently I guess feeling like it's intentional or purposeful to yeah exactly you're so burnt out yeah exactly and I think like part of that is just also with like generally just hustle culture and just what's kind of arisen out of the pandemic like oh we've had three year break okay we just got to continually hustle now I'm like no (laughs) that's the wrong way to think about it but unfortunately that's just the way the society works and you really have to deprogram your mind to actually think Mm -hmm. that you know the way we were working before the pandemic was not a healthy way to work and live your life so I think people had really have to think about you know, what matters in their life and how much time they want to spend on like working and like or giving back to the community and things like that. So that's why I said, you know, it's really important to like just do what you think you can um, and do what you think is important to you because at the end of the day, like when you're retired or not retired, I guess, or when you're in your older years and you're looking back on your life and you're thinking, you know, what actually have I done? Um, At least you can reflect on the positive things that you've done and not just been like, well, I just worked for 40 years straight and now I don't have a mortgage. So um, (laughs) I I, like personally, I don't think that's the life for me. I don't think I could ever just like not do anything and Mm -hmm. then retire and just be happy. So again, that's for me. So other people might think differently. Yeah. Yeah. Looking more broadly, um, what's AAP doing like in the Asian Australian space at the moment? Because you did Mm -hmm. mention before it's changed quite a bit. Yeah, I think in our first one of our first meetings, you said that it only recently became a not-for-profit organization, right? Yeah. So we've been around since 2019 and COVID has really like hindered our growth because originally everything was in person and we had to move online and stuff. So Mm. we really only became a not-for-profit in like August last year. Um, And I think the reason behind that was because we actually wanted to expand across all of Australia, but to apply for things like grants and to apply for things like scholarships or things like that, you have to actually be registered with an ABN and to be registered with the ACNC, which is the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, to actually access those funds. So that's why we registered Australia-wide because we're like, we don't know where we're going to be in three years. We could be in Sydney, Brisbane, Tasmania, whatever. So that's why we did it. And I guess like what has changed from then is that Originally, we started off as a social social organization. We were just, you know, had Facebook events and we could meet up with people. But now it's actually an organization where we're putting out resources to actually talk about issues or run events that um, about issues that people don't necessarily think about in their everyday life or or issues that affect the minority. And I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing. The biggest change is that there's that cultural shift. Um, for example, something that we're actively trying to pursue is 
of work around reconciliation between the Asian Australian communities and like First Nation communities and people. And that's something that we realize is really important. So right now, right now, AAP is developing some reconciliation goals. So kind of like a wrap, like a yeah. reconciliation yeah. Asian plan, but not endorsed by Reconciliation Australia because you have to be endorsed by Reconciliation Australia to have an official wrap, which you have to pay money for, which we don't have right now. So right now we're developing things like reconciliation goals instead, which actually just are smaller goals that are more tangible and achievable for us um, to to work with First Nations people and to ensure that we're building that bridge because we also realise that, you know, without First Nations justice, there isn't really no equality in this country. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us to do work around racism and stuff, to not address the First Nations community and the issues and challenges they still face is kind of like hypocritical of us so that's why we're working in that space as well and a lot of us are actually really passionate about that space outside of the Asian Australian work anyway so it's a really good way for us to intersect our two kind of interests that way um we do the same thing but we just empower people now with tools and resources and actually Mm -hmm. like you know facilitate platforms to have those conversations in a safe way um so like I think something that we did which was kind of like a big achievement that we probably have never done if we didn't actually have that cultural shift at AAP um, was we actually submitted a submission or like a report to the Australian Human Rights Commission. Yep. Wow. Um, the That was this year. The report's available on the website if you guys want to have a look. Yeah, it's um, so the, Asia, the Australian Human Rights Commission put out basically a community call out because they're doing or creating an anti-racism framework for Australia, which is really new because we don't have anything that's related to racism in terms of legislative um, protections besides like the ones in the state. There is like the Anti-Discrimination Act, but that is just like for everything. This is specifically for like racism um, and looking more proactively at anti-racist policies and legislation and ways that we can support minorities in this country. So AAP submitted something, I wouldn't say on behalf of Asian Australians, because we don't speak for all of them. It's a very diverse community. We just submitted something on our behalf of our community members. So people who volunteer at AAP, people who come to our events, people who know of us, that's who we're talking about. Um, And basically the submission was involved like what, like 15 people. It's like a 46 page report it's like really intense but it's really it's a lot it was a lot of work but it really recommends a lot of changes that have to happen in society for us to kind of say this is what anti-racism looks like so that's kind of like a big milestone for us in terms of what's Mm -hmm. changed I'm not gonna say like we're not like those big not-for-profits but we really value that grassroots um kind of what's the word grassroots values that people have and bring and ensuring that that is carried on through all our work and kind of making sure that advocacy is accessible because we know that particularly in the activism space in this area with any issue there tends to be kind of a barrier between people wanting to be part of the cause and you know like doing something for the cause versus like actually being in a position to make change and often are not in big not-for-profit organizations that's the gap between volunteers and like the ceo of that organization because that ceo gets paid a lot of money yeah. to do sometimes not a lot while the volunteers yeah. have to like basically yeah do a fuck like i'm gonna swear but like a lot of you can swear a, a ton of work <laughs> yeah. for nothing essentially and they don't really get a yeah. knowledge so that's what aap is trying to change is that we're trying to make advocacy accessible for everyone so you can come into aap yeah 
upskill, learn, build connections within the community, build connections within our volunteer group and leave and actually feel like, yeah, I can actually go and do something now. Like, and actually, you know, if I want to talk to someone about burnout, if I want to talk to someone about developing reconciliation goals at work, I actually know someone who I can talk to about that. So that's what our aim is. And it's, yeah, it's just trying to be accessible because I know as a young person and someone who's volunteered for a very long time, it can be Mm -hmm. really difficult to get into the space if you don't know people. And that's why, you know, that's why we're trying to empower people to essentially do the work outside of AAP because we don't want to be here forever. Because if we're here forever, that's not necessarily a good thing as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think I definitely really see that in AAP. Like when I first Mm -hmm. discovered um, AAP, I remember I think it was through one of your fireside chats or one of those events. And the first thing I noticed was the community or the connection to community and how, like you said, making advocacy accessible. Like I really saw that when Mm -hmm. I first um, stumbled upon AAP. Like I wonder what was the journey in creating those networks and this community and that connection with community? Like has it, have you seen a big growth in the last three years or so? Yeah. Yeah. I would say we've gotten a lot more diverse and I think that's a really good thing on our, our hand. I know I kind of sound like a white old man. Yeah. We've got, like, <laughs> we've got one woman on the board now. So. <laughs> but no, I, I think we're really diverse now, like in the sense that like we have people from different backgrounds, not only ethnically, we have people who identify, you know, as part of the queer community, we have people who identify as gender non-conforming. We have people who identify that they have a disability. Um, so I wouldn't say we are super diverse and we cover every single like identity slash like area in the world, but we do encompass a large group of people that identify as Asian, but also have other identities too, like the things I just said. So mm. that's, I think the really important part about community is that first, like, to feel like you have a community you need to represent a large portion Mm. of the community which means you have to be diverse you can't say like you know we represent the community when you only have like two or three people from the same ethnic background and call yourself diverse because that's not right and that's essentially just goes literally against what diversity is in the first place so that's I think the first thing is making sure that keeping AAP diverse and having those diverse opinions is really important because ultimately at the end of the day like there's no point in me saying like Asian Australians face this issues and stuff because someone can just come up to me and say, well, actually, from my experience, I never experienced that. It's actually worse than that or it's better yeah. than that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Well, it's because I because the reason I didn't know that is because I don't talk to people from yeah. other backgrounds. So it's really important to have that diversity just to keep ourselves accountable, not only to ourselves, but to the community that we're representing as well. Um and I guess in terms of community and how we built that, I think just like it's interesting because we don't do much marketing. And um, funnily enough, a lot of our volunteers are actually volunteer here through word of mouth because every time I ask them, like, how did you guys find out about me? And they're like, oh, I went to a house party. And then <laughs> someone told me at there that they were volunteering at AP or ever heard someone. And we're like, oh, okay, that's really weird. <laughs> but I'm really glad that people are talking about us in house parties. Yeah. It means like, you know, we're actually interesting. Yeah, exactly. So um, I guess like in terms of building community, it's been very slow, but like I would rather have that sense of like openness and trustworthiness with the community that they can, you know, people can talk about us in like a house party or um, they can see us on social media instead of like actually openly advertising it to people. Not saying that that's other, if other not-for-profits do that, um, 
and that's mm. bad but it's just that I just think in terms of aligning with our goals of being grassroots that is something that we really strongly advocate for and we're really community-based too so if there's an issue that someone wants to talk about or if someone wants to contact us and run an event we're always open to having that conversation we may or may not do it just because of capacity reasons but like we're always happy to have that conversation with people and say like you're really interested about disability and how disability is perceived in the Asian Australian space okay let's run an event about that or do you want to write an article about Mm -hmm. that or like Mm -hmm. do you want to go talk to someone who works in disability space because we can connect you to someone like that so it's always about being open to the audience and the community members because ultimately at the end of the day like and going back to the whole diversity thing the more people that can access your platform and the more people that can access your community the more people are more likely wanting to be part of that community and increases your diversity and the value of your organization slash like your community as well so a lot of people a lot of people who volunteered here either came to one of our events came to one of our or knew someone who came to our events or something like that so it's a pretty close-knit community and a lot of us have a strong sense of purpose of what like what we're doing what we're adding so it's not really like we run I would say we run like a machine because that's the opposite of what we're doing it's like we're held together by tape a little bit (laughs) you know like when you break something and you're like yeah I'm just gonna like just tape it back up up. you're like yeah looks all right to me as long as it still looks like what it is it's still that so I feel like we're a little bit like that at the moment but honestly like I feel like every organization like that. I don't think no any yeah. organization yeah, where they're like, yeah, everything's perfectly fine because um, there's always yeah. something. Yeah, you never see what happens behind the scenes. I feel like it's a lot more no. chaotic. Than, yeah, there's yeah, a lot more chaotic. Like, yeah, um, especially like if you're in a in a small small not for profit like this, you're basically yeah. like I am. So because um Angela has recently left, um I'm basically like HR now. I'm like HR. <laughs> a legal person I'm also like the strategic directions person I'm also like I'm also if you want to have a chat about like your life or you want to have a cry with me I'm also that person so I'm like wear many hats um yeah. But yeah, I'm that person now. So it's like that meme was just like, look at me. I am the boss. Yeah. I'm also <laughs> HR now. Yeah. Um, so when everyone, someone comes up to me and say, hey, Michelle, I'm just having this issue about this person or something like that. Like, who do I talk to? I'm like, you talk to me. Yeah, I'm the you person. Yeah. I am the person. They're like, ah, I'm like, yeah, well, that this is the only choice. Like, you have to talk to me. So yeah, that's, um, yeah. Uh, that's something I guess no one really talks about is having to be HR as well. Mm. Um, it's not fun, but I, I got yeah. into it sometimes. Yeah. So it's a it's a big role. Like, what keeps you motivated, and how do you lead a group of volunteers? Yeah, that as well. What keeps me motivated? The wrong answer. I mean, the the answer that I tell myself is the innate sense of failure. That's my yeah. drive. Yeah. Um, I think my I think every Asian person deep down inside, whether like you really identify with culture or not, has like a really sense of dread in terms of failing and stuff yeah, like that. I think failure. that's my kind of thinking that keeps me like driven. It's like <laughs> I really don't want to fail here. Yeah. Um, but on top of that, it is okay to fail because if you don't make mistakes and you know fuck up once in a while, you don't learn anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get any feedback as well. So that's really important for my role, particularly because I'm a leader um, and I lead the organization. I need constant feedback and I need people to tell me how well I'm doing. Or mm-hmm. you know, if they're like Michelle, you're doing an absolute shit job. You need to change. I'm like, okay, that's good. I need to change. That's a good thing because it just promotes growth, even though it's a negative thing. Um, 
but yeah so what I tell myself is no pain what I tell other people <laughs> um I think it's just like giving back to the community yeah. it's just mm. you know I'm in a unique position where I have the power and the time to actually make change and like I said mm. before not everyone has that not everyone has time and not everyone has power to bring change in a way that they'd like to or in a way that is effective or super efficient and I am in that position to do that and I recognize that and I know that I'm really privileged to be in this position where I can actually talk to people about something I'm passionate about and actually derive a sense of purpose from I know Mm. it sounds like really condescending but like not everyone out there enjoys what they're doing or their job or not everyone enjoys you know working in the space they have or doing things that they want and I'm very lucky to be in a space where I enjoy not only what I'm doing but actually aligns with my goals as like my personal goals and my personal values so that keeps me motivated and I think just like having a community that will doesn't not only that you give back but also gives back to you because at the end of the day I do talk about issues that are really serious and really heavy then affect us all but also really cherish and enjoy my meetings that I have every night because that's the only time I can catch up with like other Asian Australians who can mm. who, who are essentially in the same position as I am because you know at the end of the day like you know we come from different walks of life and have different lived experiences but you know we have a shared identity or shared identities and you know sometimes I just want to rant about some shitty thing that happened to me at work because I'm Asian and they're like you know they're like yeah I understand that because I'm Asian too. It's cultural empathy. It's like, well, what I call cultural empathy is because we're from the same cultural, same ethnicity. We share the same lived experiences. So it's the only kind of time of my day where I can actually decompress and talk about stuff that has happened to me in a safe mm-hmm. space where I feel validated and respected. Um, what was the other half of the question? I feel like there was another half. Okay, how do you keep your team motivated as well? Oh, how I keep my team motivated? Look like it's hard yeah particularly in management like it's really when you guys are like team leaders at work or anything it's like really really hard to keep mm. people motivated especially if there's no money involved because money <laughs> yeah. yeah drives a lot of um yeah motivation essentially so I think it's a balance between making sure they're meeting the legal and financial or like fiduciary um duties as a director versus like not exploiting their goodwill and uh, passion to create change or drive change in the community so it's really like a balance between those two and that's why for me I think it's really important to give back to my directors give them skills and say like you know look um when I was in this position this is what I did or these are the skills I have as a president that you may not have as an events director whatever this is something that I can help you with that will make your job more efficient so for me it's supporting them to do the role that they're in it's not like it's me leading the organization but I really see myself as more of a facilitator than anything else Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day if I'm doing everything I'm going to be really burnt out but at the same time if I was going to leave the organization like nothing is going to run if I leave because everything is done by me so what I need to do is I need to facilitate that opportunity for my team and my directors to actually learn from me and to actually grow themselves so that if they're going to transition out of the role, if I'm going to transition out of the role, there is stability in the organization. Um, And I think that's what keeps it motivated as well is because there's this very strong sense of like organization, like what we're doing is actually legitimate. Mm. At the end of the day, I think we all kind of see ourselves 
this is something that's bigger than ourselves yeah. and I think mm. some of us just want to like make the world a better place in that way yeah. it's like very altruistic for me to say that but yeah some of us just kind of put ourselves put the cause above us and I think that's what keeps our team motivated and it's also motivating because they're connected to I guess people they care about as well like friends the community it's not just yeah like, you're not a group of strangers yeah exactly at one point we were all strangers like we didn't know yeah. each other but now like mm. I know so much yeah. about everyone and it's like so it's really weird because I'm like all is this secrets. how adults well yeah it's <laughs> secrets what's like is this how adults become friends because like I genuinely don't know how to adult in my like in my <laughs> real life so I'm like how do I make friends do I go to bars is that what people do like do they hang out in European bars because I don't know how to do that outside yeah. of AAP yeah um, so it's really weird to have that community but I, I also see them as friends now so yeah. um yeah it's just I don't know how to adult. It's just, that's, <laughs> I think this is just like me exploiting the, my opportunity just to meet new people, which is fine. But it's just like, yes. I don't know how to make friends outside of like all this stuff. Volunteering, organizing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like, if you come up to me in a bar and be like, hey, and I'm like, what, why are you talking to me? <laughs> and, like, and then if they're like, oh, the, and, I'm, and then if they're like, oh, how's it? I'm like, yeah, usually the conversation just steers into like work. And I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like yeah. going to a yeah. work conversation. Well, do people want to make friends at bars anymore? Do they? I don't know. I don't know. Do, I don't know do what people either. do. No, I don't either. know. Yeah. Or like a jogging group. I don't know. Do people talk when they go jogging or run? I feel like that's a really white people thing to do because like, I don't know. It's like, I honestly don't know how people make friends nowadays because everyone's so busy, but like, right, that's yeah. what I feel like people do. They go to like bars and the city <laughs> to hang out with people. You can tell I don't hang out with people much in general. So don't everyone, take it though. Though. No, people just find their niche and then whatever their niche is doing that's how you find your yeah people. exactly yeah. which is exactly, yeah, exactly what AAP is yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah what has your proudest achievement been with AAP oh that's a good question I think this is like something that I'm trying to work on is like because I'm the leader I always think in a deficit mindset like what is AAP like yeah like that's yeah. always what I think about mm. but I never think about oh never I rarely think about yes. what positive things we've done yeah I think you probably know as well if you're if in any mindset you're always like what can I do better but never yeah. never yeah. like what have I done well which mm. I'm trying to change not only like personally but also in my workplace as a social worker as well um but the proudest thing I think it's just generally to getting to where we are at the moment um and anyone in AAP who's been around for been around for a while can kind of attest to this but we've changed so much over mm -hmm. the last two years um I think we've kind of been we were in a space where we're the only organization or the only people to do this work and then to being part of a community now that is full of really empowered driven Asian Australians who want to make change and I think that's a huge win for the community for all of us as individuals as well because now we have a network of support that we can lean back on if things get hard or we can resource share and do those things yeah. um and I think we wouldn't be where we are as a community if everyone didn't contribute so I think it's really important to recognize that while you know AAP has been doing some work other people have been doing a lot of great work in this space as well like um shapes and sounds I'm not sure if you know mm -hmm. shapes and sounds yeah. and Sami. like what yeah. she's doing with Asian Australian psychology yeah. and like psychotherapy is really important or like um South Asian today which is like a news yeah. organization that reports on like South Asian news particularly like on South Asians 
and Australians and like yeah. the link between culture there. So there is a lot of people who would do important work in this space. And I think I'm just really proud of the community of where we've gotten to at this point where we, we can actually strongly say that we have an Asian Australian identity. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if you asked me like five years ago, what is the Asian Australian identity in 2015 or 2017? I would say, like, I have no clue. Yeah, I put, yeah. Actually, I would have said it's subtle Asian traits and I would have said it's LBs and LGs. <laughs> I was, going, go- to I was going to say the same thing. I was like, yeah, I yes. feel like that would have been my answer as well, like LG, exactly. LBs. <laughs> and, like, as much as I think, you know, and I don't want to, like, slag off the Asian, uh, subtle Asian traits because I think they've done a wonderful thing by doing a community. There's also been some problematic stuff in that space as well so mm. you know now to say that we actually have an Asian Australian identity that's outside of that space is actually a huge win for like all of us because I remember at one point all of us would just be asking are oh, you on sort of Asian traits you know can you add me yeah so now that the fact that we've kind of moved away from that or grown from that as a community yes. and actually have different other organizations who kind yeah. of sub-specialize in different things I think that's a really big achievement um for all of us but I guess for AAP yeah I think I'm just really proud of my team actually when people are surprised when I tell how many people are volunteering at AAP they get quite surprised so we actually have about 30 people who volunteer for us which is actually a I wouldn't say it's big but it's big for a small for -for not-for-profit yeah Um, yeah. it's substantial so it's at one point we were like 45 50 people and now we've down to like 30 so um yeah so we are a big community in the sense that there's a lot of volunteers and a lot of people we have to manage but we started off with like four people and that was like mm. three years ago so that just shows how much we've grown just yes. in yeah. capacity in general and everything like the way we've gotten to from just running Facebook events and having to pay for bar tabs using our own money and stuff like that mm. to now actually having a website and to having social media and to having people who can specifically do marketing and legal and finance and all of that. It's just crazy because like it, I would never envision the way things are going now to be what I thought about when I first joined. Um, yeah. Cause that's not something that I thought about joining. I'm like, Oh, this just kind of be like it social group I get to hang out with a bunch of Asian Australians who care about the same issues but then now I'm like oh shit I actually have a team of 30 people that I have to manage so it's like how do I get up to this point um but I didn't come up to it passively like I've been actively working towards this point so I think yeah it's it's not like a single tangible moment where I can say that's something I've been super proud of but I think it's just collectively as an organization as a team as a community which has done so much over the last like three to four years um to get to where we are and I think only positive things can be happening and you can definitely see that with like the last federal election where we have like increased representation mm-hmm. not only in Asian Australians but in general and people of color so only I think only positive things in the year hopefully but I think that's what's been happening yeah I would say that was the proudest thing because you know at the end of the day it's not about me and it's not about me as an individual yeah. as well it's about the community yeah yeah how have you as an individual grown and changed through AAP? Oh, that's <laughs> I've gained more friends. <laughs> Good. Like, yeah. I mean, I've I've grown, I think I've made new friends, I've made new people um, to share my experiences with, to be like super introspective. Um, but yeah, I think for me joining originally, so um, when I joined, I was a vice president, so I wasn't like the top dog. I was like, the medium dog or whatever you would like to call it mm. um that was like probably the the highest 
position or like the most senior leadership role I've ever been in, in terms of like in any group or capacity or organization like that. So I had a lot of self-doubt um, going into that position because I was like, I don't have the life experience slash skills to lead this organization. That's why I'm the VP. And then when Humphrey left and, you know, and I also, I put up my hand to be president and he didn't force me to go into that role. But when I put my <laughs> hand up, there was a lot of like self-doubt around yeah. whether I could do this or not, because I was like, people look up to me for direction, but also for advice at the same time. Like if I make a mistake, you know, things are not going to go well for the organization. For me, there was just a lot of self-doubt, like a lot of imposter syndrome. I think a lot of people yeah. have imposter syndrome and that's very mm-hmm. normal. Like I want to normalize imposter syndrome um but at the same time like it's so deeply intense like you just like what the fuck am I doing with my (laughs) life you're just like what am I I doing like I don't know what I'm doing like why am I doing this like why did I put myself in this position yeah and sometimes I like would log off a meeting and be like did I even do the right thing did I even Mm -hmm. say the right thing like you just walk away um and that fear and the doubt is just like it just is replaying every brain. moment again and going, why did yeah, I say it, that? Is that yeah. yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh my God, people think I'm such an idiot. Oh, like, <laughs> you know, like they're just going to like have a coup and like kick me out or something. <laughs> um, like there's, there's definitely like a sense of like, definitely what I'm doing here is not right. Because like That's every so time normal. meetings, yeah. I'm like, guys, like, is this the right thing? Should I be doing that? Like, yeah. And I'm like, I don't think it's the right thing to do. Like, no, 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 it is. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> a lot of having yeah. to like convince myself that yes. what I'm doing is the right thing. What's the best way forward. And at the times, like, and I, especially when making really difficult decisions, sometimes doing the right thing can feel like the wrong thing. And I think mm. that's something I've had to grow really comfortable with because as a leader, like, yes, you have to lift people up and, you know, make, keep them safe and stuff. At the same time, you've got to make really hard decisions that affect people too. And people can get quite emotional from that. So at times I've had to make decisions that are in the best for AAP or for the best for community, but it's had to negatively impact someone. And mm-hmm. those are the decisions that are the most hardest because I have mm-hmm. to remove all the emotion out of it and be like, yeah. this is the most logical way of doing things. This would be the best way. I think for me, the personal growth is just like that internal self-talk that like I can, I try to believe in myself as much as I can, but I also need to lean on my support network and the people around me. Learning to rely on other people is such a big learning, just a personal thing for everybody, especially where I feel like, at least with my Asian upbringing, it's like you're you're Mm -hmm. taught to like fend for yourself, be independent, not rely on others. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard because like, it's it's just like culturally like not what we do this just yeah. like why would you rely on someone when you can do it yourself do it yourself that's literally yeah. like that's literally like the question like why do I have to get someone to do it when I can do it myself yes. that like applies to everything right yeah. whether you're just yeah. at work or like you're just at home cooking like why do I have to wait for this person to do something like I just <laughs> cook the dish myself I can make it 10 times better whatever so yeah it's um yeah it's the it's an Asian thing I like it to call it a cultural whip because it's like it's not your parents who are telling this, but culturally, like, yeah. <laughs> yes. to, like, do it. So You're right. yeah. that's why I yeah. tell white people, and they seem to understand <laughs> that metaphor. So, yes. Yeah. Um. Do you have any advice for those who are looking to volunteer or, you know, work for a nonprofit? I think start, like, 
wherever you want. I think we're in a really good place in society now where like there's a labor shortage. It's, like, I don't want to talk about this like in an economical way, but there is a labor shortage and people are like desperate for volunteers. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, I've been like, I work for several not-for-profits and there's been like, I'm not sure if I can say this, but there's been a lot of redundancies lately just because yeah. of funding mm. issues. So a lot of places are looking for volunteers and I can say that confidently. Like, if you want a job or want a volunteer role, go ask them and I'll probably give it to you because um, they're so desperate for free labor. And look, like, it can feel quite exploitative at first because you're like, I'm just giving my free labor to, like, do this thing that I don't even gain anything out of. But, like, if you look at it from a practical way, at least that's something you can put on your resume. And that's sometimes, like, things that I tell people, like, you don't have to like it sometimes you just got to do it for like three months and then have it on your resume so you can get a yeah. better job or better role down the line but I guess like the other thing as well is figure out what you want to do in terms of like an issue there are so many issues out there pretty mm. sure there's an organization that will help you yeah. with what you want to do whether it's like you want to do Asian Australian work and work in the advocacy space. You want to work in disability. You want to work in the queer space. You want to work with emergency services, climate change. You want to work with young people. There's just so many options out there. Um, and they're all looking for really passionate people to join them. And some have really great upskilling roles where, you know, you might actually land a job there if you volunteer, if you actually do really well in that volunteering position. I also think the other thing is don't feel like you have to actually give up time to volunteer as well mm. because when people think of volunteering they're like I have to take two hours or three hours out of my week off my work day to go out and help something the other ways you can help volunteer as well whether that's just like sharing a petition by an organization or like going supporting your local business or going mm. and vote in an election that's really important like yes. learning how to mm. vote properly being politically aware of like what's yeah. going on or like liking someone's you know Instagram group like liking I don't know like if you follow a particular is social issue or social organization liking their Instagram posts actually increases their coverage in terms of like who yeah. their network and who they're reaching so there's other stuff besides actually volunteering your time yeah. mm. you just do those small things you can actually help build a community slash promote that cause because at the end of the day you don't actually have to proactively do anything social media and technology has come so far where we can literally do everything from our phone so mm. you don't actually physically have to go out and then volunteer and like even with AAP all half of us are based in Sydney and half of us are based in Melbourne like we don't even have to meet each other up to run an organization like this yeah, so yeah. there's a lot of things you can do um it's not just about yeah taking two hours of your yeah. week to go and do something yeah yeah well um, to wrap up I think we've got one like final yeah. question for you what are you excited to do with AP in the future oh it's a good question <laughs> mm, what am I excited about well I don't want to spoil anything but we've got some exciting projects coming up next year and mm. some of you may or may not have seen it on social media yet like seen a glimpse of it um I think I'm just excited to like get to know people. I think AAP, we've been growing so much, but kind of in isolation. Yes. That's the yeah. thing. So we've grown so much as an organization in our community and stuff, but we haven't actually went out to meet people, mm. um, which isn't necessarily a good thing. But yeah, I think part of us is trying to establish networks and friends outside of AAP. 
because um, yeah. we want to connect with the Asian Australian community and we want to yeah. connect with individuals as well. And we recognize that while our community is great, there is a need to kind of venture out of our comfort zone and see what's out yeah. there. And I guess that's why we're also kind of doing this collab because yeah. we recognize that it's also about supporting other people too that are not necessarily in our space or network. So that's kind of like what I'm excited about. I know these people in the periphery, but I actually haven't introduced myself or met them yet. Like mm. the, um, what's that? That, that Asian Australian Leadership Award Summit that happened. Oh, yeah, the 40, the 40. Yeah, um, the 40 yeah. under 40 or whatever. Yeah, 40 under 40, like, yes, yes. I think my goal for AAP is for someone to go. Oh, it's really yes. expensive. It's like $200. But like, I searched it up as well. I was like, how do I get into this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, it's like yeah. the nomination process is crazy. It's like you have yeah. to yeah. have two references and a resume. And I'm like, I feel like I'm applying for a job and not actually an award. <laughs> so, um. I feel like if a tangible goal, there's a running joke that that's the tangible goal in the future, yeah, that yeah, someone from awesome. AAP can go yeah. there. But yeah, I think for now, it's really just building out our networks and meeting new people. Um, I love talking. I love meeting new people. I love sharing my story. I love sharing AAP's story. I love holding spaces for people to yeah. talk about their own stories. Mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about empowering people to own their own stories and think of it mm. as a positive rather than a negative yeah, like, so you've had a negative experience at work because of racism. That's a good thing because you've done, you've endured something that most people don't endure yeah. in life and you've become yeah. more resilient because of that. So don't think it that it's a negative. It's a positive in that way. I mean, it's a negative because someone said something really shit to you, but it's positive because you've grown as a person and you've become a lot more resilient because of that. And I think that's what I'm also, that, what I'm passionate about is at the end of the day, it's about owning owning your own story as well and taking that as a positive experience to grow. Um, mm. Because at the end of the day, like we're still minorities in this country and we're never going to become the mi- majority, probably not any in my lifetime or anything like yeah. that. So at this point, it's really about, you know, what can you make do with that situation at this point? It's really just about, you know, believing in yourself owning yourself, owning your story and kind of like reauthoring that to be a positive experience rather than a negative one. Um, Yeah, Asian Australians have been part of this country for a very long time, but, you know, we haven't really been talked about much in the contemporary history. So I think it's time that we do talk about us and be a bit selfish and actually, you know, you know, make ourselves the the spotlight or like the star. Yeah. Yeah. This is what we've actually done. So, yeah, I think um, that's kind of what excites me is just to hear all that story and stuff. So it's happening already. Yeah. Um, Hearing you speak about it, I'm I'm really, really excited to see kind of where the Asian Australian community goes next and also where AAP goes next. I think you have really exciting things in store and we're very happy and proud to be friends of AAP. Aww, yeah. That's like, I feel like that should be a thing, like a friends of AAP. Yeah. Like, sounds like really corporate and terrible but like I feel it's like kind of cute it is it is kind of cute, cute. Yeah. yeah I'm sure Carrie would love it she's like she's like down to like I'm mean, not sure if Carrie's down to network but someone in the organization <laughs> would be down to network um it seems to be like a cultural thing in AP where no one wants to go and network I'm like guys we actually have to go talk to people like we have to so sure. maybe just rebrand it don't call it networking yeah, maybe making friends we're making friends making friends yeah yeah <laughs> some of them are like I already have friends like why do I need to <laughs> <laughs> the point the point is you have to go talk to people and yeah, like it's right. always been me so I'm like yeah yeah so but, if you guys have but, any solutions, let me know. Yeah, I mean, well, what everyone will see in the next couple of episodes is we will be mm. talking to 
a series of different people from AAP. Yeah. So please, you know, reach out, um, listeners, please reach mm-hmm. out if you have any questions, anything. Are you guys looking for volunteers? Uh yes, with a question mark. We uh, okay, we're so, <laughs> we're supposed to be recruiting, but we've had a bunch of stuff. But yes, we're looking for volunteers. Okay. So if okay. you ever even if we're not advertising, just like pop an expression of interest through the email because we'll try and find a space for you. If not, we'll try and redirect you somewhere else. But yeah, we'll yeah. have that conversation. So I'm a friendly person. I think. Just start yes, the so. convo. Yeah. That's all it is. Just start yeah. the convo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so to wrap up this um, episode, we normally do these dinner table questions. So very quick fire, fun okay. questions. So the first oh one, what would your death row meal be? My death row meal? Ah. Oh. Is it bad if I say KFC? No, I, I would have KFC too. Like, I really like KFC. I yum. don't know. What, no, I love KFC, but I don't like, I mean, I don't like the original recipe controversially. I like Wicked Wings. So I like Wicked, Wicked Wings, Wings too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's an Asian thing because I've never been to a party where there's been not Wicked Wings, like yeah. an Asian party. Yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah, anyways, KFC, yeah. I would say maybe. Probably. Awesome. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Second question, what would you do with a completely free day? No work, nothing. Oh, man, I'm going to struggle. Probably. <laughs> what would I do with a completely garden? I have so much chores at home. I feel like <laughs> you, you can do anything. You have all the money in the world. Anything. All the time in the world. Just for one day. One day, one day. 24 hours. hours all I, know, money, I would hire someone. I would hire someone to do all the chores at home. <laughs> It's actually what I do on my free time. It's really sad. It's all I do is do chores. So like really You'd hire yeah. someone to do your chores for you. Yeah. <laughs> and you just observe. Exactly. Just observe. Because that's where I'm spending my money. Like, you know, like Asian mentality. Yeah. Do everything yeah, yourself. You, now I'm gonna pay someone mentality. to do it now. Yeah. yeah and then you pay someone watch to do them. It. That, that's yeah, a luxury. And then yell at them if they're doing it wrong <laughs> because I'm wasting my money. So that's what I'm gonna do. Oh, that's so yeah. funny. Yeah. Okay. The last one is what is a recent favorite of yours? Could be anything. Oh, okay. So I recently started getting into book talk because I, oh, okay. Like, I, if any, both of you, any like, you know what book talk is? Yes, I'm on booktube, not book talk. Oh, booktube. Okay, yeah. What's yeah. book talk? It's like, is it like TikTok, but for books. With, yeah, yeah. So I'm on book talk, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not gonna say I'm shameless, but I'm not ashamed to say I like the really spicy books. So, so, far, yes. so far I've been trying to like make my way down a list and stuff like that and go on Instagram. So now all my Instagram is just full of like book talk recommendations. So I've been reading like some books and stuff and it's been really good. So I've been like, that's like my self-care, like reading spicy books. What, so it's been some really good. Can you give an example? What's Give us an example. <laughs> Wait, let me look it up on my phone. Um, <laughs> I recently. This is even appropriate. I feel like this is NSFW. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's not. Okay, it's not. I'll do like the leap. So like there's this, Um, I read this like early in the year, but there's a really famous one by Helen Hwang called The Kiss Quotient. Oh, I know it. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. like Ooh, stuff like that. that. I, I love like guilty pleasure. Like if I need a quick read, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll finish it in a day. Like yeah. I, what last night, okay. You know how I said I was staying up last night? It was also because yeah. I was reading this book as yes. well. So, okay, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, um they I've been really into like mafia romance books for some reason. Ooh. But like 
like where the male dude like the male lead is like a mafia and then there's what a specific genre how interesting i know it's really okay so i read read this book called sinners anonymous and it's actually really good so i recommend it to anyone they're all white in it but that's fine because yeah i don't really care about if what it's a guilty pleasure yeah it's a guilty pleasure so spicy (laughs) books yeni if you guys want any recommendations for me or have any recommendations (laughs) for me just Give me your spicy book recommendation. Give me your spicy book recommendation. Yes, I'd love talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's a great note to end on. Um, Mm -hmm. But thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for spending your Saturday morning with us, but also like connecting us with your team as well. Like this, like you said, is just the beginning Mm -hmm. of being friends with Mm AAP. But um, yeah, we're really excited to be a part of this journey as well and to provide a platform to talk about, you know, what AAP is all about and the stuff that you're doing. So we'll link everything in the show notes um, in terms of AAP's socials, website, um, and also that report that you mentioned earlier as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's it. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Wendy and Tracy, for having me. It was lovely to have a chat with you. No worries. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.